Is there a desire in you to not just attend revival, but live in revival? Welcome to the Revival Lifestyle Podcast. I'm your host, Isaiah Saldivar. I've been in revival for the last 10 years, as well as traveling and being a part of many revivals throughout the United States. I'm going to be sharing with you how to live a radical lifestyle of revival on a daily basis. We're going back into the book of Acts. If you have your Bible, we're in the New King James Version, and we're breaking this down. One thing that we want to create in our community, because that's what we are, and in our family, is we want to create a group of people that know the Word of God, that are leaning on the Bible, that are leaning on the move of God. And so, friend, we can't create people that are all just encounter, and all just experience, and all just, you know, miracle signs and wonders, although all of that is important, and we need that. We have to be people of the Word. Remember, if we don't build our life on the Word, we're building it on sand. So I don't want to be the thistles where the word lands on and they get choked out. I don't want to be the hard ground where the bird who's the devil comes and steals the word. I want to be that one that's on the good soil. I don't want to be the footpath. I don't want to be the rocky soil. I don't want to be the thorny soil. I want to be the good soil that can grow. And so I need the word of God in my life. And I'm going to show you tonight as the word of God is being preached, miracles can happen. As we're preaching, as we're sharing, as we're going through our Bible, the power and the presence of God. This is not a natural book. This is a supernatural book. Now, is God limited? This is what religion says, that God is limited to what's written in Scripture. In other words, if it's not in the Bible, God can't do it. Now, we know that's not scriptural, that God can do things that are not in the Bible, because the end of John says, if everything Jesus did, it would just take up the world. There'd be too much to write. It would be a huge encyclopedia. And so we know there's so many things that God did that weren't written down or documented in the Bible. And there's so many things that God is doing right now that this is the time for God to move. Now's the day of salvation. And so if God's moving in my life, I don't have to explicitly see scripture as long as it doesn't violate the nature or the character of God. We need a revival. Friend, we need a revival. This is one of the reasons why we're going through the book of Acts is because, friend, we have to have revival. People are so tired of listening to preachers that are all intellectual, that know the Greek, but don't even walk it out in English. I'm just like, why are you even teaching me Greek when you don't even live the Bible in English? So there's two things. I don't just want to preach the word. I want to actually experience the word. I want to experience the presence of God. I want to experience the power of God. I want to walk in the calling and the mandate that God has called me to walk in. Like what a hypocrite for me to preach this word and not walk out everything that the Bible tells me to walk out. What a hypocrite to preach this word and not live the word that I'm preaching. So I don't just want to be preaching and just be sharing, but I want experience. I want to know God. I want to walk out. I want to see the sick healed. I want to see miracles. I want to crucify the flesh. I want to humble myself in fasting. I want to humble myself in prayer. I want to get an all night prayer means. I want to be in the place of worship. I want to live this thing out. I, I know one guy that was on YouTube was saying like talking to another guy about me and basically in so many words was like, you know, you know, I, I'm sure Isaiah doesn't live that type of standard that he preaches, right? Like, I know it's a great preaching, but it's like, he doesn't really have, he, I'm sure he doesn't really like live that. It wasn't a negative thing. He was just saying like, nobody lives like that. And friend, I want to live like that. I want to live this consecrated set apart life. I don't just want to preach it. So the days of preaching with no power, I believe are over. I believe that the people of God 
are tired of a fabricated, watered-down, malnourished, weak gospel that doesn't change lives. And so what we see in the book of Acts is relevant for today. The Bible says that all of the word of God is for instructing, is for teaching, is for exhortation, is for God to do it again today. And so as we're reading the book of Acts, say, Lord, do it again. I want you to do it again. I need you to do it again. I need this today. I need healing today. Are miracles for today? Yes. Is deliverance for today? Yes. Is it for every believer to experience God's power? Absolutely. I am not going to limit God with intellect. This is what Jesus told the Pharisees. You're intellectual and you're smart and you're tradi- you have all these traditions and you know all the laws, but I'm standing right in front of you and you're missing me. Is it possible as Christians tonight, we could be right there on the verge of a move of God, knowing everything about God, but being disconnected from the very God that we claim to know everything about. We, we do all these things in the name of this God, right? But it's like, we look at our lives and we go, my life is no different than my friends at work, than my friends at school, than my family. And I live a natural, normal, complacent Christian life. And I've, I've lost sight of that this entire thing is about, and I'm sharing my heart tonight, guys. This entire thing is about me reaching other people. That God has set me free, so now I set others free. That God has healed me, so now I go and I heal other people. That freely I've been given. It's like I didn't have to pay. God freely delivered me. I didn't. God didn't charge me for deliverance. God freely healed me. I didn't have to pay or sow or tithe or any of this to get healed in my body. God freely took my heart of stone uh, January 12, 2011 and gave me a heart of flesh. God did all of this for me. And now I'm here and I'm going, God, what is the response to you doing all of this in my life? And God says, all I want is for you to take what I've done to you and given to you and freely go give to others. Give it out. Share with them, Isaiah, how I broke depression when my life was colorless. Friend, I'm telling you, when I got saved, color entered into my life. I was like seeing the stars and the trees and the plants, and I would cry when I saw the grass. I remember the day after getting saved, literally, and this is, I know this is corny, but it's not. I remember the day after getting saved, seeing a butterfly. And mind you, I had not cried in 10 years up until the night I got saved. I was bitter, hard-hearted, angry, all that stuff. And I remember seeing a butterfly and I cried. And I'm going like, why am I crying when I see a butterfly? Because I've never seen life like this before. It's like everything is made new. And I remember seeing the sun and thinking, I'll never be able to doubt God again. As sure as the sun rises, so God is real in my life. And so I don't want to get disconnected. You know, when I get on these broadcasts, when I preach in the church and I preach on stage, before I get up, I have to remember, okay, do not go up there, Isaiah, thinking you know it all, thinking you're this theologian or you know the Bible or you're this Bible scholar, you know this or that because of study or because you memorize the, the messages you preach or whatever. But Isaiah... Go up, and I feel the Holy Spirit telling me this, and I, I'm, I'm off on a tangent, but it's okay because I feel like it's the Holy Spirit tonight. Go up as that just got saved, 19-year-old, broken, hurting, I came and restored. Preach from that place of brokenness, that place of compassion, that place of empathy where we go, you're struggling? I'm not going to cast you out. I'm going to bring you in. You're struggling? I'm going to bring healing. I'm going to bring deliverance. I'm going to help you because God has done it for me. So I'm not going to give up on you. I'm not going to toss you out. I'm not going to stop praying for you. I don't care if you come to me 50 times for deliverance. 
I don't care if you come to me 60 times saying I messed up again. How, how many times? This is the question. And this is what we see in the book of Acts. Has God extended the olive branch to me? How many times should you been disqualified and I've been disqualified? But God in his rich mercy. Am I preaching to anybody tonight? Can you guys hear me tonight? Let me just make sure you guys are on here. God in his rich mercy and kindness puts his hand out and says, I, I want you to follow me. I have something for you. I have life. Somebody needs to hear this tonight. Is this the Holy Spirit speaking tonight? Through me. I have life for you. I have a second chance for you. I want to give you a family. Some of you in the chat right now, and I know, I don't know if I've ever done this, but I know I'm just going prophetic here because I have all this stuff planned for the book. Acts, we'll get into it. Don't worry, we have time. But I really feel some someone's broken right now that's not able to have children. And you said, God, are you going to give me that family? As a little girl, I dreamed of having this family. And now the doctor's report has come and said, you're never going to have children. And I'm following all these teachers and preachers that I don't know, man. Some of them say that God doesn't heal and it's not for me. The other ones say he does and I'm just torn and God is extending his hand to you and saying, I'm going to give you a family. I desire to bring healing in your life. I desire to encounter you. Maybe you're in bondage and you've been in this cage and you've been eating crumbs from the master's table and you're going like, is anybody going to set me free? Can anybody help me? Because I've been years in church, like in Luke 13, coming to the house of God, trying everything but I'm broken, I'm in bondage, and I'm hurting, and I'm crying out on the inside as loud as I can, and nobody hears my cry. Is there anything, and God says, I want to deliver you tonight. I want to set you free tonight. That God really does desire, and God is looking for a people to have relationship with. This idea where I'm going to live my Christian life through a man of God on a stage, it's, friend, that's over. That's disgusting. That is not the Christian life. The Christian life, as Jesus says, don't live your life through the man on stage, but I'm inviting you to live a life where you could know me every single day, just like the guy on stage. So friend, please, if I've ever painted relationship with God as something only I can have, like I'm special anointing, which I don't do, I hate that, then I, I, I have to apologize for that because I don't ever want you to think that I have some special anointing or special relationship with God that you can't have. Every single one of you can have an equal relationship with God if you're willing to lay your life down and to put the time in and to pursue God. I, I hate to burst your bubble. I hate to break the news to all these other people that are out preaching and teaching and stuff. And there is no special anointing that I have that you don't. There's no special superhero Isaiah Saldivar. The same spirit that raised Christ that is living on the inside of me, that energizes me, that empowers me, that speaks through me whenever I get on these broadcasts, is living on the inside of you or can live on the inside of you. And you have a direct line. You don't need to go through me. You don't need a special minister to lay hands on you. You have a direct line. Jesus, the mediator to the Father. You don't need an angel. You don't need Isaiah or a preacher. But Jesus directly as our mediator to the father we have a direct line of communication and this is god's will and this is what we see okay i told you we're going long tonight this is what we see in the book of acts this is what we see we have people that are walking in the supernatural the last teaching we went over in chapter 9 saul has this radical experience and this is what i'm praying lord do it again lord do it again in our life we want to encounter you radically we need you and this was a guy okay who is religious 
who had the teachings, who was preaching and teaching and teaching and under Gamil and was persecuting people in the name of zeal for God. This is why Paul's persecuting the church, zeal for God. These guys are wrong. They're not godly. I'm going to expose them. I'm going to kill them. I'm going to come against them. And guys do this all the time still. And I'm going to do it in the name of God. Saul has this radical experience, falls on the ground, goes from having Christians killed to preaching the gospel, preaching with power. And this is what happens with experiences with God. Experience with Experiences with God will get you to do things you never dreamed of doing. Friend, I'm telling you, if you would have told me that I was going to be a preacher, 12 years ago, 15 years ago, I would have laughed at you. But experiences with God change everything. They change our paradigms. They change our mindset. They change culture. They change how we live our life. And this experience changed everything. Now, if it doesn't change everything, I'm questioning the God that we're encountering or the God that we're preaching about. So that's why experience absolutely matters. Because your experience, it was Saul's experience with Jesus that caused him to repent. He goes, I'm not, what, wait, Lord, what, what have I done? I'm not persecuting you. And he goes, when you're persecuting these Christians, you're persecuting me. And it was that experience that would take Paul from being a Christian persecuted persecutor to an apostle that would write two-thirds of the New Testament. Friend, before I got saved, I would never dream of being a preacher. And there's some of you in the chat right now that God has something for you that you would never even dream of. That the plans, and I'm telling you right now, that the plans that God has is beyond your wildest imaginations, exceeding your wildest expectations, and this would happen. Now, the disciples, not only that in Acts chapter 9, did Saul have a radical encounter, but we see Peter raising the dead, which is very, very important because Jesus raised the dead. And so now we're seeing in Acts chapter 8, what do they do? They cast out devils and healed the sick. In Acts chapter 9, now they're raising the dead and they're fulfilling the commission that Jesus gave them to go. Now, some people say, well, that's just for them and just for the gospels. And that was before the Holy Spirit came and before Jesus died. Well, wrong, because in Acts chapter nine, they're going out and Peter's raising the dead, letting us know that that same power and that same spirit that raised Christ is now living in us. And we have the authority to raise the dead as well. Matthew 10, seven through eight and proclaim as you go, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And this is what Jesus told the disciples, heal the sick raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, and cast out demons. So I'm giving you this authority and I'm giving you this power and you're able to do these things. And in the book of Acts, these disciples, this emerging church, this new generation of spirit-filled believers, this new covenant is now coming and is going to do this work. There's no third covenant, okay? There's people that are preaching a third covenant and this is what they're saying. There's the old covenant there's the new covenant. I, and I think Pastor Mike Signorelli said this on our broadcast last week. There's the new covenant. And they say that the disciples, they healed the sick, they raised the dead, they cast their demons. But now, this is what they say. Now we're not called to do that today. There's no modern day apostles. There's no modern day prophets. There's no modern day miracles. There's no uh, casting out demons. There's no healing the sick. Now, not only do they have no verses to support that, but you're, so you're telling me there's a third covenant? There's a new covenant now, apparently, where there was no power in the Old Testament for every believer, then there is power in the gospel's short period of time. Now that the church is established, now there's no more power anymore, and there's a third covenant that's powerless. That is apostasy. 
That is heresy to say that there's no more. It's not happening any longer because the church has been established because as far as I'm concerned, we are still establishing churches. We are still evangelizing and making disciples. There are still sick people. There are still dead people. There are still demonized people. And so the miracles continue. There is no, type in the chat, there's no third covenant. There's the old covenant and the new covenant. And the new covenant says the same spirit that raised Christ is in you. The new covenant says that you are an ambassador of Christ as if God himself, Paul says this, was making his appeal through you when he's calling people back to himself. There's a new covenant that says the disciples are going to go out, preach the gospel, cast out demons, heal the sick, raise the dead. It's happening today regardless of what your favorite preacher has to say about it. God is on the move and no amount of preaching is going to stop God from moving. So here's where it leads us to. I'm either in or I'm out. I'm either on the side where I go, God, I believe you have the power to do anything. God, I believe the book of Acts. I believe your word. Or I'm on the side that says, that's not for me. I just get to study about it. I just get to read about it and talk about it, but I never get to experience it. What kind of Christian life is that? Imagine God making gospel and saying, hey, I just want you to read about it, but it's not for you just to tease you so that you can read about all the great things. You know what the Bible says? That all the prophets, all these people long to have what we have. Elijah was a man just like us. And when he prayed, it didn't rain. When he prayed, it did rain. These men and women of God that the Bible says in Hebrews, the world was not even worthy of. These heroes of the faith, these were men and women just like us that God empowered and filled with his Holy Spirit. So I want that. Now, if I preach against that, if I say that's not for today, not that I won't experience it. God is not going to force himself on me. So I need to have an open mind and an open heart to what God is going to do. And this is where we're going to see through the book Acts. Now, if it wasn't for today, don't you think there'd be somewhere in the Bible where it wasn't for today? But it absolutely is. Okay, we're gonna go through Acts chapter 10 and Acts chapter 11 pretty pretty fast because they're not long. A lot of this is storytelling and descriptive. Um, and so we're gonna talk about a lot of this and then we will go into, we're gonna try to get through three chapters. We're gonna see, but Acts 10, one through two says, there was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian re Regiment, a devout man and one who feared God with all of his household, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. So here's this Roman soldier, this Roman guard, this Roman leader, who's a devout man who fears God with all of his household, who's seeking God, who wants God. And in Acts 10, three through eight, it says about the ninth hour of the day. Now this is Cornelius. He saw a clear vision of an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. And when he observed him, he was afraid and said, what is it, Lord? So he said to him, your prayers and notice what it says here. Your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. He's lodging with Simon, who's a tanner. Those house is by the sea. He'll tell you what you must do. And when the angel spoke to him and departed, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier from among those who, want, who waited on him continually. So when he had explained these things to them, he sent them to Joppa. So here we have a man that's praying Lord, I'm seeking God and, and going before God and giving to God. He has this encounter with an angel, encounter with God. God comes to him and says, don't be afraid. I've heard your prayers, your alms and your prayers have come up as a memorial before God. Now, God did not wait for the Jewish, Jewish Christians to reach out to the Gentiles. Captain Cornelius was a devout, generous Gentile seeking God. And an angel appeared to this noble Roman during observance of evening prayers. 
and God had looked at his devotion and his generosity. And the angel's terminology was straight out of Jewish worship manual. That's, and he says, listen, it's come up to God and it's like an aroma. It's like this memorial pleasing sacrifice. And God has accepted this devotion and this act of gratitude. And Cornelius doesn't waste any time and he dispatches, he gets his servants, his soldiers, and says, go 35 miles away and go bring me Peter. Now, remember, Simon, whose surname is Peter, is at Simon, the tanner's house. And, and here he has a, a vision of God. And now he's going to send to get guys to bring Peter to tell him about what is this all about? Now, I want you to notice something in the verse. Your prayers and alms have come up as a memorial before God. Friend, write this down. God notices every prayer. That as you're praying, I know you feel like it's not happening, it's hitting a glass ceiling and God's not hearing my prayer, but God notices your prayer. God notices when you're giving. God notices when you're studying his word. God notices when you're reaching out, when you're praying for people, when you're ministering and you say, Isaiah, a pastor or leader didn't recognize me, but God says that your prayers, your devotion are building a memorial before me. It's like an aroma, the Old Testament calls it, like an incense comes before me and fills an aroma that my prayers have a smell to God and God is attracted to people that pray. God responds to people that worship. So if you're asking God, I want you to move. I want your presence. Start with a prayer life. Start with a life of generosity. Start with a worship life. Start by saying, God, I want to give you everything. I want to lay it down. I'm going to spend 30 minutes or an hour a day in worship and praise and prayer and reading the Bible. And as I'm doing that, there's an aroma going to God. As I'm doing that, there's a memorial. So it's, it's not a waste of time because in, in one sense, Cornelius is like, is this even working? Right? Like I'm this God-fearing man. I'm doing the evening prayers. I know the Old Testament and all this, but it, and I'm a Gentile, right? I'm not the covenant people, the Jews, but it's like, is this even working? And then one day as Cornelius is doing this, all of a sudden, an, uh, an angel of God comes in a vision and says, Cornelius, don't be afraid. Your prayers and alms have come up for memorial. Your giving and your prayers, alms is giving, you're giving alms, right? And your prayer is coming up before God and God is noticing it. So don't think you're wasting, somebody needs to hear this. Don't think you're wasting your time because God is hearing you. Acts 10, 9 through 13. The next day, as they went on their journey and drew near the city, Peter, Peter went up on the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. Then he became very hungry and wanted to eat. But while they made ready, so they're getting the food ready, he fell into a trance. Now, I want you to pay attention here for all of you that don't believe trances, visions, or all that in the Bible. He fell into a trance and saw heaven open and an object like a great sheet bound at four corners, descending to him and let down to the earth. In the sheet were all kinds of four-footed animals and wild beasts, creepy things, birds of the air. And a voice came and said, rise, Peter, kill and eat. So it's midday at Simon the Tanner's cottage by the sea, prayer time, not meal time, it's prayer time. Remember, Jews ate two meals a day, a light meal in the mid-morning and a more substantial meal in the late afternoon. Peter's on the roof of the house where he's, you know, catching the Mediterranean breeze and he's praying, he's hungry. And as he's praying, the Bible says Peter goes into what's called a trance, okay? He goes into a trance and he sees this huge tablecloth being lowered from the sky and spread before him. And there's a bunch of animals, basically a Jewish no-no list, okay, of unclean creatures to be avoided. And Peter's shocked. He's going, what is this? Birds and reptiles and creepy crawly things all over the place. And a voice comes to Peter and says, Peter, get up, kill, and eat. Basically, Peter, dig in and eat, okay? 
Now watch in Acts 10, 14 through 16, if you're following along. Acts 10, 14 through 16. But Peter said, not so, Lord. Have you ever had God tell you to do something and you told him no? He says, for I've never eaten anything common or unclean. And a voice spoke to him a second time. What, oh, come on, Holy Ghost. What God has cleansed, you must not call common. This was done three times and the object was taken up in heaven again. It's like, okay, Peter, you remember denying Christ three times? You remember three times Christ said, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Do you love me? Now I like, come on, Peter, get with the program here. Now you're seeing this three times. You're arguing with God because God is giving you a trance saying you could eat this stuff. Now we're in a new covenant. We're in a new, a new dispensation of grace. And now you're arguing with God. As a moderately orthodox Jew, he had, observed, he had observed Jewish prohibitions against contact with anything impure, and this was spelled out clearly in the Mosaic Law. And these laws, a ritual of purity, was so deeply ingrained in him, he was willing to debate God. This is how, I want you to hear me right now, okay, and let's draw this point out of the story. This is how strong religion is. Religion is so strong, it'll get you to debate God. Did you guys hear what I just said? Did you catch that if I was Alexander Pagani? Religion is so strong. It's so ingrained into Peter, this old covenant Jewish mindset that God is telling Peter, do this, Peter. Like in a trance, it's not more clear. And Peter's willing to debate God and resist what God is saying because this Jewish Orthodox Christianity or, or, or Orthodoxy is so strong in him, he's going to debate God. Now, Here's what God is trying to show Peter. We're gonna, we're, our goal is to make things simple, not make things complicated and so deep you go to sleep. God is trying to show Peter these arbitrary Old Testament prohibitions. They're done, Peter. The New Testament, the new way of relating to God is not going to be done by keeping rules, but it's going to be done by responding to the Holy Spirit. So it used to be these rules and regulations and these studies and the Torah and all that I had to go through the Mosaic Law to now the New Covenant is relating to the Holy Spirit, listening to the Holy Spirit, because pride will say, this is how we've always done it. This is how we have to do it. And if anybody new shows up and says God is doing something, or there's a new move of the Holy Spirit, and it's not exactly like we used to do it in tradition. Oh, that's not God. And they're willing to debate God on it. They're willing to fight God on it. And God says this, don't call unclean what I've cleaned, what I call clean. So ultimately God makes the rule, not us. And the disciples are still trying to process this new covenant like for years we've been told that the law says to do this and now you're trying to come and say that's not what we're supposed to do and this is like even this whole thing with the sinner's prayer people know it's not in the bible right and i've had pastors of mega churches sit with me and say man i've thought my whole life this is not even in the bible why do we do this i've talked to pastors guys that have led thousands tens of thousands to the lord through the sinner's prayer and i've sat with them at lunch and they said man I just never had anyone willing to speak out and say, this isn't in the Bible, but you're right. This is just a tradition we do. And people get so mad when you speak against their traditions. Why? Because we're, we're creatures of habit. We've always done it this way. We always do it this way, but it doesn't matter. It's not the way God is saying to do it. It's not the way the new covenant says to do it. The new covenant is not religion and tradition. It's the way of the Holy Spirit. Man, I feel the Holy Spirit when we talk about this. Acts 10, 17 through 20. Now, while Peter wondered within himself what this vision he had seen meant. So Peter's like, what is going on? Behold, the men who had been sent from Cornelius 
who had made an inquire for Simon's house stood before the gate and they called and said and asked whether Simon, whose surname was Peter, was lodging there. While Peter thought about the vision, the spirit said to him, behold, three men are seeking you. Arise, go down and go with them, doubting nothing for I have sent them. Here's a theme I want you to notice in the book of Acts. And this is something I've been praying about. I want you guys to pray about. What does it truly mean to be led by the spirit? What you're going to see through the book of Acts is these guys, and I'm envious of them in the greatest way, living this supernatural way of the spirit where their lives are being governed by the move of the spirit. Is it possible to get to a place where we're so led by the spirit, where our life becomes an adventure, not monotony, where our life becomes no longer this routine day in and day out, but now we're led by the spirit. We walk in the spirit and where the Holy Spirit is our guide and our GPS. Think about this. You have Saul, go to this house. Barnabas, go to this house. Simon, go to this house. Go do this. As Peter's having this trance, he has this miraculous encounter. He's pondering to himself, what should I do? As he's having this encounter, another encounter happens. I'm going like, God, I want this. And all of a sudden, while he's having this, the spirit said to him, behold, three men are seeking you. Now, how did the spirit speak to him? I don't know. But as he's thinking about the vision, the spirit speaks to him and Peter hears the Holy Spirit and responds. If you get nothing else tonight from this message, get this. It's time for the church to be led more by the Holy Spirit than led by men and women of God. It's time to be led more by the Holy Spirit than led by our emotions, our flesh, and our tradition. When are we going to let the Holy Spirit lead us instead of tradition lead us? Think about our services on Sunday. We have our schedule and we just go on our schedule and it has to be this, 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 but we're not leaving room to be led by the Holy Spirit. And I'm, I'm, I'm with you guys. Listen, chat, I'm reading the chat as I preach. I'm with you guys. I'm going, Lord, I want to be led by your Holy Spirit. I want there to be divine appointments. I want the Holy Spirit to say, Isaiah, three houses down, there's a guy reading the Bible, asking about me. Go knock on his door because I've already spoke to him and told him there's a man about to knock on the door. Like, why is that out of the realm of possibility? Why is that not something that we're striving for? Why do we preach this thing that God doesn't speak anymore? I'm believing for that stuff in my life every day. God, I want supernatural open doors. I want you to lead me, to guide me. Now, you know, I know my calling. I know I'm called to, to train the body of Christ, to live stream, to preach to the masses, to share the gospel and to train the church to live a supernatural life. But also I'm going, Lord, I want to make sure that everything I'm doing, I'm led by your spirit. Guys, I need you to trust me on this. Please, right now, hear what I'm about to say. You know, we're, we're 45 minutes in. I want you to hear what I'm about to say. I know that many of you look at me and say, why doesn't he do this? Why doesn't he preach on this? Why doesn't he say this about this or about that or about this? And why doesn't he go there? And why doesn't he post that? And why doesn't he go on that person's channel? And why doesn't he bring that person on? And I really want you to trust me, please, without hear my heart, no pride, no arrogance. I need you to trust me that I am listening to what the Holy Spirit is telling me to do. Now, I've wrestled with the Holy Spirit all week long about certain areas of my life, about certain things of what I should do here. Should I do this? Should I do that? God, do you want me to do this? Do you want me to go there? And I'm trusting that the Holy Spirit is speaking to me. And the Holy Spirit is speaking to me clear 
has been speaking to me very, very clearly. And I'm going, okay, Lord, I want to trust your Holy Spirit. I want to be led. I don't, I don't want to be led by public opinion. I don't want to be led by the masses. I don't ever want to do anything that the people want, but something that God doesn't want. I don't want to become a Moses where I have my ear to the people. Oh, the people want me to do this. The people want me to teach on this. The people want me to say this. The people want me to go here and and rub shoulders with that guy. But Lord, let me be led by the cloud, not the crowd. Let me be led. So please, if you're in the broadcast and if maybe some of you consider me your pastor or maybe you consider me a spiritual father or leader or covering or whatever it could be that you look at Isaiah Saldivar as, know that I'm human and I'm following the leading of the Holy Spirit. Guys, there has been times where I've planned out entire broadcasts, spent hours and hours and hours, you know, eight hours preparing notes and studying and praying and reading and doing this. And the Lord's like, that's not it. That's not it, son. You got to do this. You got to do that. And I have to shift to what the Holy Spirit is saying. And then the Holy Spirit moves and breaks out. So I want to make sure that I'm sensitive to the Holy Spirit more than I'm sensitive to people. So please give me grace and know that I'm asking the Lord before I do anything, before I post anything before I make any video, before I do anything, I'm asking the Lord, Holy Spirit, is this what you want? Do I get a yes every single time? Do I get a loud voice every single time? I'm led by the Spirit. I get an inward piece of this is what you need to do. God impresses in prayer. This is why I have to be in prayer. This is why I have to live in the word of God is because I have to make sure that I'm led by the Holy Spirit and not led by the flesh and not led by my own desires, my own emotions, my own frustrations, my own worries, my own cares. And this is what I see in the book of Acts. The model God's calls to live is being led by the spirit. So he's wrestling and all of a sudden there's these men coming and the inward voice of the spirit. Now I want you to notice There's now, he goes from a trance, which is an outward experience, okay, to an inner voice. The spirit speaks to him saying, hey, guess what, Peter? There's visitors downstairs. Don't hesitate. I have sent them. I hope you're learning that the Holy Spirit wants to guide our lives tonight. And this is the life that I want to live. Acts 10, 21 through 22. Then Peter went down to the men who had been sent to him from Cornelius and said, yes, I am he whom you seek. For what reason have you come? And they all said, Cornelius the centurion, a just man one who fears God and has a good reputation among all the nations of the Jews, has divinely, was divinely instructed by a holy angel to summon you to his house and to hear words from you. All his life, think about this, guys. All his life, Peter had been taught Gentiles are unpure. He would not enter a Gentile's house a fear of touching something unclean. They were not allowed to go into the houses of the Gentiles because they didn't want to come into contact with anything unclean because they'd have to go through ritual cleansing before they could participate in worship. And they had to be separated. But now here's God in all of his loving kindness saying, Peter, eat what I told you you couldn't eat before and go where you weren't supposed to go before. And now he has to scrap all the old rules of separation because there's now this Jesus movement where this conquest to witness to the entire world has started and now he has to go to the ends of the earth which means going to the unlovable going to the unreachable going to the broken going to the gentile i wonder how many places god has wanted to send us and we say god i can't go there because it's unclean i can't go there because those aren't the people you want me to reach or those people are in sin or they're wrong and god is saying i want you to reach these people now jesus ate with sinners 
to preach to them, not to party with them. So we are called to go and reach the broken, the hurting. I'm not saying you go party with them. I'm not saying you go clubbing. You say, oh, I'm trying to reach them and you're out clubbing with them. But I'm saying we have to be willing to go into the areas that God has called us into to reach the people that God has called us to reach and to stop calling unclean what God has called clean. It's, it was time for change. Acts 10, 23 through 33. Then he invited them in and lodged them. On the next day, Peter went away with them and some brethren from Joppa accompanied him. Verse 24 of chapter 10. And the following day, they entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends. So he's getting everyone together because Peter's coming to share with us about the way. As Peter was coming, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet to worship him. But Peter lifted him up saying, stand up. I myself am also a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found who... He'd found men who had come together. Then he said to them, you know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with, with or go to another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. So watch this. It goes from the food to now he's seen the animals and he goes, God's telling me that I can't call you guys. Like you guys know, this is like Peter. You guys know I shouldn't be here because you guys are unclean. You know that. But God has come to me and said, to come here and to not call you guys or consider you unclean. Verse 29. Therefore, I came without objection as soon as I was sent for. I asked then, for what reason have you sent for me? Verse 30. So Cornelius said, four days ago, I was fasting until this hour. And at the ninth hour, I prayed in my house and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing. So look at this. This is how the angel appeared. If you've ever wondered, what does an angel look like? It's right here. A man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayers have been heard and your alms are remembered in God's sight. Verse 32, send therefore to Joppa and call Simon here, whose surname is Peter. He's lodging in the house of Simon the Tanner by the sea. When he comes, he'll speak to you. So I sent to you for you immediately and you've done well to come. Now, therefore, we are all present before God to hear all the things commanded you by God. Peter returned with Cornelius's men, no question asked. No question asked. Peter says, I'm going with these men because God has called me to go and I'm not going to debate God because I just got done. Peter's like, I just got done debating God and now I'm willing to go. And this is the obedience that God is asking of us tonight. No questions asked obedience. Type that in the chat. No questions asked obedience. God, you said go. I'm not even going to ask you. How's this going to work out? Because we're full of questions when God says go. And God says, no questions asked. I want you to go when I say go. Lord, help us to listen for the go. He comes and he witnesses. And he goes to that, crosses that Gentile threshold and says, I'm going to come minister a house full of people, Gentile people, Cornelius's friends and relatives. And Peter told them about this, you know, change of mind. Whereas before, I, I shouldn't be doing this, but now God is changing things. So now we're in Acts 10, 34 through 43. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. The word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. That word you know, which was proclaimed all through Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism, which John preached, verse 38 of chapter 10, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good in all and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all the things which he did both in the land of Jews and Jerusalem, whom they killed by hanging on a tree. Him God, 
Him who God raised up on the third day and showed him openly, not to all the people, but to witnesses chosen before God and even to us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. Verse 42. And he commanded us to preach to people and to testify that it is he who was ordained by God, the judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive the remissions of sins. So what is Peter preaching? He's preaching the gospel to Cornelius and his family saying, the veil has been torn, the separation has been removed, and God is now bringing this message to the ends of the earth. Now God is re releasing the power, the fire, the anointing, the Holy Spirit upon those who are willing, those who are hungry, and those that need him. Acts 10, 44 through 48. Well, now I want you to hear this. This is for some of you tonight. This is verses 44 through 48. While Peter was speaking, while Peter was speaking these words, okay, he's in the middle of preaching, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. And those of the circumcision who, circumcision who believed were astonished. As many as came with Peter because of the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. So here's what's happening. As Peter's preaching, we're not even at the altar call yet. The Holy Spirit comes upon and begins to fill people, and they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then Peter answered, Can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? Now, I want to key in on something here. There's a really big debate always going on of, is baptism required for salvation? People say you have to be baptized to be saved. Well, that's not true. I'm going to show you why. Although baptism is commanded of us, it is not required for salvation. I've said it before. If you get saved at a church service or a gathering and you drive home and get in a car accident and you say, why well, didn't get baptized yet? I'm going to hell. That's not the way that it works. We are saved by faith and faith alone. But watch this, okay? And it's, it's by grace. Um, but watch this here, okay? They hear the word of God. They are baptized in the Holy Spirit. They're speaking in tongues and magnifying God. Okay, they're not baptized in water yet. So the question is, they have the Holy Spirit, they've been saved, and they're speaking in tongues, but they have not been baptized yet. Does that mean they're not saved? Because you guys say, or not you guys, but some of you say, you have to get baptized to receive the Holy Spirit. You have to be baptized to be saved. But right here, it shows us baptism is not required. Here's the response we should have with baptism, okay? This is the biblical model of how we should treat baptism. They get full of the Holy Spirit, and then Peter says, could anyone forbid these men, They, those who have received the Holy Spirit as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then they asked him to stay a few days. So here's the thing. People get saved. Power of God breaks out. And then you go, man, they're saved. Hey, there's water. Does anybody object? If we can get you baptized, let's get you baptized. But it's not baptism as a requirement. It's baptism as obedience to God, as a public declaration of a work that God has done inwardly, that watery grave, just as they crossed the Red Sea and God drowned the Philistines, I'm sorry, drowned the Egyptians. God says, I want you to go through that, that watery grave of baptism and be resurrected in Christ. So it's not required, but it is commanded something that we do is baptize people. And we know Paul said, I didn't come to baptize. So it's like, okay, Paul, you didn't come to baptize. So there's nobody getting saved in your ministry because you're not baptizing people. But Paul says, that's not the ministry that God had called me to. Although Paul did preach and Paul did teach many places and preach the gospel. It was not a prerequisite or a requirement to being saved. 
Now, before Peter ended his sermon, they were full of the Holy Spirit and speaking in a new language, turning to the Jewish Christians who come with him. Peter asked if there's any objections. So there's these Jewish Christians with them, and he's going, is there any objections? There was none. Okay. Within a few decades, what began at Cornelius's house expanded to encompass the entire Roman world that started by in Cornelius's house. Now it's going to reach the entire Roman world. And what's interesting is, again, they received the Holy Spirit before water baptism. All right, let's go into Acts chapter 11. We're doing good here. 40, we've been preaching for 42 minutes here. Acts 11 verses 1 through 3. I'm trying to not do one chapter a week, guys, because we'll be forever doing this. But I want to go um, I want to go through some more type 1 if you want me to keep going. It's, uh, that's okay with you tonight. Listen, you're already home on Valentine's Day. Okay, you're not out of dinner. We, let's, let's hear the word. Let's preach the word tonight. Acts 11 verses 1 through 3. And, by, and this is better than dinner anyways, praise the Lord. This is dinner, but it's spiritual dinner. Now the apostles and brethren who were in Judea heard the Gentiles had also received the word of God. And when Peter came up to Jerusalem, those of the circumcision contended with him, saying, We went into uncircumcised men and ate with them. Now the Christians are disturbed because Peter's hanging around uncircumcised Gentiles. Now most disturbed of the group in, in Acts 11 was what the Bible calls in quotes, those of the circumcision. And this was actually all Jewish males were circumcised, but the phrase designated a group of Christian Jews who were especially concerned that the Gentiles should, should submit to the right of circumcision. In other words, these men were concerned the Gentiles need to not only be circumcised, but they need to become Jews before being fully accepted into the church. Today's English version calls them those who are in favor of circumcising Gentiles. So this is a, not just the Jews, but the Bible calls these the men of or these of the circumcision, these are a special group of guys who think, or a special sect of group that thinks that even the Gentiles should be circumcised. So we don't care if you're 45, 50, 60, 70, if you get saved and you receive the Holy Spirit and you're part of what we're doing, you need to go through circumcision because we believe that's still a, a, a way to be Christian, which we know it's not the case. But these are the men that are really giving Peter a hard time for doing what he just did. Acts 11, 4 through 17. But Peter explained to them in order from the beginning, saying, I was in the city of Joppa praying. So Peter is going to tell them all that had happened of his encounter, the angel showing up, God moving, the four-footed animals, wild beasts, creeping things, birds of the air. And then he tells the whole story of the men coming to him and then him going to them and back and forth. And then in verse 17, because I'll skip, because it's just all recap there of Acts 11. Acts 11, 17, he says, If therefore God gave them the same gift as he gave us when we believed to the Lord Jesus, who was I that I could withstand God? So here's what he's saying. Guys, listen. I was minding my own business, trying to eat only what was clean. And God came to me in a vision and said, don't call what I call clean, unclean. And Peter said, and, and here's the thing, guys, because he's really like somewhat defending himself, but also not, also sharing his experience. Peter said, I had this crazy experience, even though I know what the Bible says and the law says, I had this experience with this angel and then I got led by the Spirit's voice and I ended up at this guy Cornelius's house and like a bunch of Gentiles were there and... Here's the crazy thing, guys. Like I was in the middle of preaching and these guys remember in the um, upper room when all of us received the Holy Spirit and the yeah, and God validated us through the Holy Spirit. And Peter goes, that same thing happened to them while I was preaching and I didn't even get to finish my message. So what Peter is uh, is appealing to them is, and this is verse 17, if therefore God gave them the same gift as he gave us when we believe, then who am I to withstand God? Like like, here's the thing. Who am I to say who has the Holy Spirit and who doesn't? 
Who am I to say that person's false and that person's real and I'm the man of God? Like, if they received the Holy Spirit the way I did and they got changed the way I did, then God is obviously doing something in their life and God is obviously approving of them. And so I am not going to withstand. And this is the words that Peter uses in Acts eleven seventeen. This is the words. Who was I that I could withstand God? In other words, what do you want me to do? Did you want me to tell God that he wasn't allowed to anoint those people because they don't agree with our doctrine? Did you want me to tell God that I wasn't allowed to, you know, those people were not allowed to be used? He goes, I, I, God right there in front of me validated them with power and his Holy Spirit. And there was fruit there and they're speaking. And, and so I baptized them and I accepted of them. Now these circumcised Jews, these extra spiritual Jews that are the, you know, the doorkeepers of religion. And, and this happens still today, as you guys know, um, basically the, Peter's going, the Holy Spirit told me to do it. So blame him. But watch, an absolute miracle happens in Acts eleven eighteen. When they heard these things, they became silent and they glorified God saying, watch this. Then God has also granted the Gentiles repentance to life. Now, this is a major miracle. No complaining, no grumbling, no arguing. They all praise God because they said, now God is 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 giving repentance to life to these Gentiles. Guys, why don't we just praise God when he saves people, when he uses people? Why do we see? Now, let me just point out this. When celebrities get saved, for example, which this week I have a video of a celebrity that got saved that I did a video about a long time ago that was literally talking about spirits using him okay now he just proclaimed and thanked his lord jesus christ in a recent uh speech thing he did and everyone's congratulating you guys probably don't know who he is but i'm going to do a video on it this week so i don't want to spoil it but this guy goes from openly talking about demons inside living inside of him to now pro professing jesus christ as lord here's the sad part the mob the mob i mean the church the christian church guess what we're going to do we're going to be skeptics. I'm not going to. You, some of you guys are. Oh, I don't think he really got saved. Oh, man, he's a sheep in wolf's clothing. Oh, another celebrity professing. Now, I'm a holiness preacher. I believe if you really get saved, you change your life, you turn from your ways. But I am not someone that immediately slanders and condemns those that are getting saved. I, I pray for them. I root for them. I cheer for them. And I believe God for them. And we have to stop this nonsense of... If I don't want them to get saved, they're not saved. If I don't want God to use them, and we're so negative. Like, what is this? Think about this. We pray and pray and pray. God saves celebrities. God saved this person. God saved the atheist, the drug addict, the demonized. And then God saves them. And we're like, oh, I don't know if they're really saved. I don't know. They don't seem very genuine. And I don't know. They need some real. They need someone like me in their life. I am all for that. I want them to live holy and righteous and God to move and stuff. But guess what? I'm excited. Because the Bible says in heaven, know this, that there will be more rejoicing for, not, for one person getting saved than 99 righteous who are already saved. There's a party that goes on when one person repents and turns to God and serves Jesus Christ. So we have to stop with this mob mentality of we get to choose who's saved and who's not. We get to choose who uh, God uses and who God doesn't. Because to be frank with you, God does not need your permission to save people. 
God does not need you to give him a permission slip or give him a written request before he saves celebrities, before he uses people you don't want him to use or whatever way you want to take it, however you want to take it. God does not need, and it's like, man, we have this toxic Christianity where we pray for people and then whenever God does it, we're mad about it. Acts 11, 19. Now those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch preaching the word to, to uh, one but the Jews, word to no one but the Jews only. Okay, so the persecution followed. They're out there preaching. They're sharing their faith. They're going to Jews. They're going to Gentiles and they're preaching all over the place. Acts 11, 20 through 25. But some of them were men from Cyprus and Cyrene who... When they had come to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. And then the news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. Then they sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. When he had come, he saw the grace of God. He was glad. Wow, that's a great response there. And encouraged them with all the purpose of heart that they should continue with the Lord. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. Verse 25. Then Barnabas departed for Tarsus to seek Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it was there. So it was that for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people, and the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. So I want you to notice as the disciples were for, first called Christians in Antioch, they were not calling themselves this, history tells us. This was a term used by outsiders saying, Oh, look, those are Christians. They are like Christ. They're doing what Jesus did for an entire year. Paul is there preaching to them and sharing. Now, what do you think? You just go ahead and type in the chat. What do you think they were doing that was like Jesus that made people think these are Christians? Okay, what do you think they were doing? That was a trademark of what Jesus did that was making people think these are Christians and calling them Christians as little Christ. Now, some people say it was a derogatory term. It was a negative term. It doesn't really matter what it was. The point was the world saw these people, didn't see a Facebook status, didn't see an Instagram post, didn't see a TikTok video. They saw them and said, oh, wow, those people are doing what Christ did, which is what you're saying in the chat, healing the sick, preaching the gospel, casting out demons, feeding the poor, you know, baptizing, discipling, reaching out, preaching love. They were doing these things. Now, if they weren't doing those things, why would the world call them Christians? We have to be Christians, not by what we define ourselves as, not by our labels, but by our lifestyle. Okay. Are we known as Christians by what we do or by what they say, what they see us do? Because I don't just want to be known as a Christian for what I don't do. I want to be known as Christian for what I do. So we're like, oh, those are Christians because they don't drink, they don't smoke, they don't cuss, they don't do this, they don't. And every time people think of us, they go, they don't, 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 don't. But what if the script was flipped and there's a remnant generation rising that's known for not what they don't do, but known for what they do? And I believe there's coming a day where the world is going to start recognizing us for what we do and say not and not say, oh, those are the people that are against drinking and smoking and partying, but they're going to say those are the ones that heal the sick. Those are the ones that cast out demons. Come on, chat, where are you at? Those are the ones that raise the dead. Those are the ones that have unexplainable love for one another. That, my friends, is what the world call is why the world should be calling us Christians, not because of our Facebook status. Not because we can quote a couple verses. Come on, I'm reading the chat. 
not because we change this, but because our lifestyle represents that. Acts 11, 27 through 30. And in the, those day, in these days, prophets came from Jerusalem to Antioch. Then one of them named Agabus stood up and showed by the Spirit that there was going to be a great famine throughout all the world, which also happened in the days of Claudius Caesar. So Agabus is by the Spirit prophesying and showing them a great famine. Then the disciples, each according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea. This they also did and sent to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. So Barnabas and Saul, they spend a year in Antioch. They were sent out as an apostolic team to plant churches in other Gentile cities. Agabus was a traveling prophet who predicted severe famines in the Roman Empire and a food shortage in Jerusalem. He's going to appear again in Acts 21. Um, a 13-year drought had already begun with Agabus, which he had prophesied. So is it biblical to prophesy in the New Testament, New Covenant, uh, calamities and things going wrong in the earth and famines? Absolutely. It's scriptural. It's bi biblical. And this is something that Agabus did. He taught on and he preached on. Okay, can we go one more chapter here, guys? Let's do Acts chapter 12. That was a really short one. I know we've been live for a while here, but let's go into Acts chapter 12. If we can knock out three chapters tonight, that'd be incredible. Acts chapter 12, verses one through two. Now about that time, Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some from the church. That's verse one. So now we're gonna see there's a reprieve. There's a year or two, they're teaching, they're preaching, and there's like not a lot of persecution, but now Herod is stretching out his hand to harass some from the church. Verse two. Then he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. So Herod is reaching out, vexing the disciples. The word vexing is the word harassing. It means to harass. Now he's harassing them not because they went to church on Sunday, not because they were part of some Christian country club or some Chuck E. Cheese donut church, not because they prayed a prayer, not because they tithed or they lifted their hands for 25 minutes at an altar. He's harassing them because they're impacting culture. Remember, thousands of people are turning from their idols. They were getting persecuted because of their faith. And I'm, I want to ask this question. When was the last time that we really got persecuted for our faith? When was the last time? Now, I'm not talking about someone making fun of you on Facebook. I'm talking about real persecution. And right now, our brothers and sisters, sisters in China, some of them watching in the chat right now that were here earlier in the chat when I asked where you're watching from, are being persecuted in China. Persecution, you can look this up, is sweeping through China right now. There's no mainstream media coverage. There's nobody covering this but the mar but the martyrs, um, the voice of the martyrs, and these different ones that pray for martyred Christians and, and churches that are persecuted. But there's a price to following Jesus. And friend, I want to say this, and I'm, I'm preaching to myself tonight, me included. We know nothing, nothing about the price of following Jesus like our brothers and sisters in China our brothers and sisters in Africa, our brothers and sisters in India, our brothers and sisters in other nations that are struggling, that are being martyred for their faith. And if you want to get sobered up, go read Tortured for Christ and realize that there is a price to pay for the gospel. Most of us never get persecuted ever because we don't have a true walk with God. And if we're not facing opposition and persecution, maybe it's because we're going down the same stream as the world. Maybe it's because we're not saying anything that's counterculture. Now, they're being persecuted because they're going against culture. They're going against the agenda. Culture being the way that life was done. And there's a new way of living they're introducing. So persecution's a real reality. Now, if you, maybe you felt this before, like the enemy was harassing you. And this is what the devil does. He harasses the church. And that literally means to mess with someone or something for no reason. Um, not, you know, not because it's, it's, he's nervous or because you threaten him in his kingdom because you're doing something for God, um, 
take it as a compliment. He's not doing it for just because you're, you know, nothing. He's doing it because you're, you're impacting something. You're doing something and he's trying to discourage you. And it's not just by, you know, no reason why he does these things. He's harassing us because he knows that we're spreading the message of the gospel. So take it as a compliment when you go through hell. Consider it joy, the Bible says, when trials come. When he stretches out his hand to harass us, we should respond by stretching out our hand to harass him. The Bible says that the healing power was flowing through the disciples as they stretched out their hands. So devil, you could harass me all you want. You could come against me all you want, but when you stretch your hand out to harass me and my family, I'm going to stretch my hand out to harass you and your kingdom. I'm going to stretch my out, my hand out and heal the sick. I'm going to stretch my hand out and drive out demons. I'm going to stretch my hand out and pray and believe and gather together and disciple and baptize. So every time you come at me, Satan, I'm coming at you 10 times stronger with the power of the Holy Spirit and with all of heaven backing me up. So don't just let him harass you. Let, harass him back. It's time we lay hands on the sick to harass the devil. He hates when you witness. It harasses him. He hates when you mention the blood of Jesus. It harasses him. He hates when you clap, when you lift your hands. These are harassments. These are nuclear warheads. Your worship is a nuclear bomb to Satan's kingdom. It's a nuclear warhead to Satan's kingdom. So sorry to tell you, devil, but it's going to be a bad day for you when I get out of bed because I'm not playing that whole patty cake. Maybe those guys over there are. But I'm actually going after you. I'm actually, Jesus sent them to go cast out devils. People say, oh, brother, don't go out looking for demons. Well, Jesus sent them to go look for people to heal and to go cast demons out of. So devil, I'm coming for you. Oh yeah, I'm coming for you. I'm not waiting back. I'm not sitting on my lazy boy. You're not bringing people. I'm not waiting for God to bring them to me. I'm going out violently assaulting hell's gates and hell's kingdoms. And I, I don't care what you think about it. I don't care what the devil thinks about it. I don't care what religion thinks about it. I didn't ask for anybody's permission. I didn't ask for anybody's approval. I didn't ask for anyone's blessing. I've been blessed by the Holy Ghost. I've been anointed by God and God is sending me out to wreak havoc on Satan's kingdom, to give the devil nightmares and his kingdom so that we can become this. Um, so who, who's with me? Come on, who's with me? I'm not trying to patty cake. I'm not, I'm not interested in arguing with this and that and that. I'm going after darkness. I don't got time to go back and forth with you about this or that or debate this or that. I'm going after Satan's kingdom and I'm going and I'm, I'm not stopping because God's spirit is in me and we are advancing the kingdom of God and I'm going to harass him. And is he not harassed you long enough? I mean, come on, how long has he destroyed your life? He destroyed my life for 19 years and I got 11 years so far of destroying his kingdom and I got another 50 coming for him. So I'm telling you, friend, right now, we have to stop with the passive. We have to stop with the timid. We have to stop with the weak, chucky e. cheese, sour patch kid preaching. And we have to start making war against Satan's kingdom. I love, that's one of the reasons why I love laying hands on the sick because I know how, how mad it makes the devil. I love seeing people get delivered from addiction because I know it makes the devil mad. I love hell losing another soldier. I love Satan losing another soldier. I love watching people get translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. There is nothing better than watching the grip of Satan being broken off of somebody's life. 
There's nothing better than watching those tentacles that Satan wraps around people and that mind control being broken by the power of the Holy Ghost. There's nothing better. And friend, I, I live for this. I live to see people saved. I live to see people delivered. Freely I've been giving, freely give to those that need this. And you will get, friend, you will get so, so fed by doing the work of Jesus. I'm telling you right now, there's power in that. Now, we also had James killed by the sword. Remember in Matthew, where James and John's mother asked, okay, in Matthew 20, 20, the mother of Zebedee's children, James and John, came to Jesus with her sons. She got on her knees before Jesus to ask of him. He said to her, this is Matthew 20, 21. He said to her, what do you want? She said that my two sons may sit one at your right side and one at your left when you are king. Jesus said, you do not know what you're asking. Are you able to take the suffering I'm about to take? Are you able to be baptized with the baptism I'm to be baptized with? They said, yes, we are able. He said to them, you will suffer as I will suffer. But the places at my right hand and my left are not mine to give. Whoever my father says will have those places. Jesus is asking the mother, you're asking your sons to follow me and have this position in my kingdom, but you're asking for suffering. You're asking for persecution. And here's what would happen. James would get killed by the sword and John would end up exiled on Patmos. Be careful what you pray over your kids because God may be listening to your prayers. Now, I pray this over my kids all the time. God, use them for your kingdom. I know the price I have to pay. I know the price they'll have to pay. Leonard, Leonard Ravenhill's mom prayed this the hour he was born, okay? Leonard Ravenhill, great preacher. Go look him up. This is what his mother prayed the hour he was born. She said this, Lord, let him be a preacher or don't let him live. And to this day, he's considered one of the greatest preachers in history. This is one hour. She, he's one hour old. And she says, God, let him be a preacher or don't let him live. That's a bold prayer to pray. And he would go on to become one of the greatest preachers. I've, I've actually spent time with both of his sons that are both incredibly, incredible preachers to this day. And he's an absolute legend in the Christian world. And this is what he said in the book I read of, of him is that his mom prayed the first hour he was born, let him be a preacher or don't let him live. I, I ask this of God, God, let my children be a voice in this generation. Let them burn with the fire of God. Let them lead something to reach millions for your kingdom. Let my children advance your kingdom in the earth at whatever the cost. And, th and their life might be the cost. Their life might be the price they pay. My life might be the price I pay for the gospel. Are we willing to live that level of Christianity? Are we willing to get that serious with the gospel and to say, God, I, I don't, I don't care. Now I've said this before. I get a lot of pushback and flack when I say this and people get all mad and start manifesting. It's okay. You don't have to agree with this or believe this. This is what I believe for my kids and my family. I could honestly care less. Okay. Again, this is for me and my family. You don't have to agree. I can care less if my kids ever graduate college and if they're ever successful in the eyes of man, as long as they do what God has called them to do. As long as they fulfill the calling that God has called them to fulfill, I can care less if they ever make $80,000 a year. I can care less if they're ever successful in the eyes of man. And I've, I've already made this commitment. My parents, something they told me, I will support my kids financially. And I'm setting up, you know, as much as I can and much as I can do to set myself up so that when my kids are older, I could support them financially so that they could do the ministry God has called them to do. So if my kids say, they come out of high school and say, I don't want to go to college. I want to go to the mission field. That will be the greatest answer to all my prayers. That will be the dream. And I will support them financially. I will do whatever I have to do to make sure that my kids 
But American Christianity is, well, you got to do this, get a call, call to college, get a degree, get a career, make a good amount of money, have a good family. And then like, after all of that, just sprinkle, sprinkle a little bit of Jesus, a little bit of Jesus on the top on Sunday morning and just live like everybody else. Don't evangelize, don't preach, don't live supernatural and sprinkle. What a miserable life when you stand before God on judgment day. When God says, you didn't do anything for my kingdom, but go to church on Sunday, the devil go, went to church on Sunday. I don't just want to sprinkle a little bit of Jesus on my life to flavor it up. I want to live the life that God has called me to live. I don't want career. I want calling. Now your calling might be to be a doctor, to be a police officer, to own a business, to be an entrepreneur, to be a firefighter, to be, uh, you know, own a landscaping business, whatever you're doing, that might be your career, but your calling is to make disciples wherever you go. So don't stop at that. That's not the end goal. The end goal is to make disciples. So we have to retrain how we live our lives. We have to think different in culture today and not have the same desires and have these radical prayers saying, God, I want you to do this. Now, Herod's trying to harass and stop the move of God. Here's why to gain favor with religious people. Now there's multiple generations of Herods, but this one, this Herod was specifically part Jewish. So he had seen that it made their religious people happy when he persecuted the disciples. And so he's gonna now arrest Peter because Peter is one of the main leaders of revival and his main goal for trying to stop the move of God was stopping the move of God. Are you guys with me? Makes religious people happy. And that right there is why pastors stop the move of God in their church because it keeps the religious people that tithe happy. It keeps the givers, the ones in the church that own yogurt shops, but don't have prayer lives. We let them be on our board and run our churches because we got to keep the religious people happy because the religious people, they tithe more than anybody else. The religious people, you know, the, we, we want to make sure they stay happy. So we're not going to let anybody speak in tongues. We're not going to let deliverance break out. We're not going to let miracles break out because we don't want to ruffle the feathers of the religious people that have been in the church for so long. So this was his main goal. And this is what pastors do. They quench the fire of God to make people who are stale and comfortable, happy and content. Should I say that again for those of you that thought I didn't say that? Pastors quench the fire instead of stoking it to make the people who are stale, dry, and dead, comfortable, happy, and content. So now we say, well, we don't really care that the Holy Spirit's not happy as long as the religious tithers are happy and they keep paying our light bills and pay our building projects and pay our church staff that watches YouTube all day. So this is why we're not praying for the sick in the church. This is why we're not casting out devils in the church. This is why I could gladly say at our church, Every single altar call, there's a prayer team. And if you need deliverance, if you need healing, and every single service, and we do four every Sunday, we baptize people in the middle of worship every single service. Why? Because we're not going to cater to comfort. We're going to make it a place where if you need healing, if you need deliverance, if you need baptism, if you need a small group, if you need marriage counseling, if you need breakthrough, then we're offering it as much as we can making it available to you because we're not catering to the ones doing nothing for God. 
Why are we catering to people in the church that are doing nothing for God and making the whole church about them while the remnant starves and dies silently in the back, longing for a day where God can move freely? Oh, I feel that in the Holy Ghost. The remnant dies in the back, longing for God to move, praying for God to move, while we babysit and we cater to the lukewarm and to the carnal in the churches to make the religious people happy. What are they going to think if we go too long? What are they going to think if we do deliverance? What are they going to think if we pray and speak in tongues? We don't want to scare the new people. I'll tell you what they're going to think. They're going to think that God is real. They're going to think that our God is alive and not just a figment of our imagination. They're going to think our God is experiential and not just theological and not just intellectual. But Paul said, I didn't come with intellect so that your faith would not be in me, but it would be in the power of God. Guys, we got to get back to the book of Acts. Stop with this powerless, watered-down intellectual gospel. Like we're so full of knowledge, knowledge, teaching, teaching, teaching with no demonstration. And God says, it's time to get back. Y'all are firing me up tonight. It's time to get back to demonstration. You know, people say, you're too crazy, you're too radical. You don't have to do all that. It doesn't take all that. Friend, I'd rather be biblical than popular. Okay, so just whenever you're tired of Isaiah, you don't have to yell like that. You don't have to shout like that. You don't have to talk so fast. You can settle down. You don't, I don't understand why it takes all that. I don't know why you are that way. The same way you don't know why I am the way I am, I don't know why you are the way you are. You might look at me and say, why are you up there shouting? And I'm looking down going, why are you down there dying? So I'm as, as confused you are about my veins popping out of my neck and my shout and my praise and my hunger for God and my passion for the word, as confused as you are by it, thinking this guy's crazy. He's lost his mind. You're absolutely right. I lost my mind 11 years ago. I was an atheist and I lost my mind and I got the mind of Christ. I've been renewed. I've been redeemed. And guess what news flash? You didn't save me. You didn't redeem me. You didn't deliver me. So you're not going to stop me because the same way you scratch your head confused by me, I'm just as much confused by you. The way you're confused by me reading the Bible and literally thinking we can heal the sick, cast out devils, I'm more confused by you reading the Bible and not believing we could cast out demons and heal the sick. So trust me, you might say I'm very confused on Isaiah's doctrine, but I'm much more confused by your powerless, weak doctrine that God never moves. What? He did Hold on. Y'all got me on one tonight. So you're telling me from Genesis... To Revelation, God moved in every chapter and in every verse. And then all of a sudden, we got to today and God decided to stop moving. And now we could only learn from God from the Bible. And now the God of the church is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Scriptures instead of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we worship the Bible instead of the author of the Bible. Worshiping the Bible is idolatry. We don't worship the Bible. There's no scripture that says bow down before the book. There's no scripture that says pray to the book and worship the book. We worship the author of the scripture who is alive. And I'm talking slow because the religious people can't understand me when I talk fast. The God who is alive and alive evermore that is seated right now at the right hand of the Father and says we are seated with Christ in heavenly places. So friend, I'm sorry to tell you, but your doctrine's way more confusing than me, than mine. 
Your doctrine's way more confusing. That says God doesn't move, that God doesn't heal, that God doesn't save, that God doesn't deliver, that God can't do this. That word God can't should never come out of anybody's mouth. How, how are you going to tell God what he can and can't do? God, what do you mean God can't heal today? What do you mean God can't cast devils? What do you mean Christians can't have demons? What do you mean God can't deliver a Christian? So you're God now? And God is incapable of delivering somebody that's already been saved? God is incapable of forgiving somebody that's already been saved? Oh, sorry. They, God can't use them? Oh, sorry. Didn't know. Didn't know somebody died and made you God. I, I don't know who we think we are with our arrogance thinking that our doctrine is absolute. Let me just give you this last thing. And we're going to move on here. And I'm not going to apologize for taking too long anymore. Not one person has it all right. Not one person. Not one person in history besides Jesus Christ has ever had every single thing right with their doctrine, with their theology, with what they believe. But guess what? I know somebody that does have it all right. I know somebody by the spirit of God who knows it all and speaks through broken vessels that make mistakes, that are working through, that are learning and studying. God is not this plastic, synthetic religious God that says, oh, it has to be this, 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 this. That's called rules and regulations, and it's not new covenant. The new covenant is those that are led by the Spirit, don't have to live under a law because the Spirit governs them. All right, let's keep going because I'm, I'm so fired up tonight. So just stop. Stop with your dead God that you preach about. Acts 12, 3 through 4. And because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter also. Now it was during the days of the unleavened bread. So when he had arrested him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four squads of soldiers to keep him, including to bring him before the people of Passover. So Herod persecuted them during Passover, time of celebration when God had remembered how he delivered them and everyone was excited about God. And this is when he locks them up and he's in prison and puts Peter in prison. Peter is guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Now, you might say, isn't this a bit overkill? One man with 16 guards to watch him. But it's not overkill because the devil knows what this man can do. Herod knows this guy heals the sick, casts out demons, raises the dead. Like, the dude raises the dead. He has the supernatural power of God. So the greater the potential of the man, the greater the assignment of the enemy. I'm telling you right now, some of you who have had literally an uncountable, uncountable amount of attacks after attacks, take it as a compliment, Peter. Take it as a compliment that you have 16 guards because the devil knows your potential and he increases his attack when he sees that potential. So you ought to just thank God when the devil comes at you in every direction because he sees your potential. And, he, and Herod also knows God has delivered the disciples before and what God has done for one and one time, how many no, he'll do it again. So Herod knows like this guy, God could get people out of jail. And if he's done it once, he'll do it again. And that's a prophetic word for some of you. And I'm telling you, I don't care what you're going through tonight. If God has delivered you before, will he not show up and deliver you again? Come on, somebody in the chat, help me tonight. Don't leave me hanging here. If God has set you free before, will he not set you free again? Acts 12, 5, Peter was therefore kept in prison. Okay. But constant prayer was offered up to God for him by the church. Here's the church's response while Peter's in prison. They didn't say, oh, Peter must be in sin. Peter must be wrong. You know, just let Peter go off. You know, we love, it was good while it lasted, Peter. Thanks for delivering us, saving us, raising us from the dead. But, you know, now that you're in prison, we're going to leave you and do our own thing. Here's the response. Fervent prayer. 
That's how you get people out of prison. That's how you get people delivered, literally. Fervent prayer. We're not throwing a picnic. We're not doing a fundraiser. We're not having a carnival. We're not doing trunk or treat. Business as usual. It's time for prayer. The devil's been attacking. The devil's attacking the church right now. We're under seas. We're under fire. The battering rams of hell are at our gates. The devil's been dragging people away. The only solution is prayer because we know prayer shakes the foundations of hell. Prayer moves the hand of God. Prayer opens up the supernatural realm. Prayer gives angels the ability, the authority, the permission to fight on our behalf. The problem is the only thing that can change people is prayer, and it's the one thing we hardly ever do. The American church has left the altar of prayer. People don't pray anymore. People don't cry out anymore. When was the last time you, you, were call, you called a prayer meeting and said, we're going to go after those that are in bondage, and we're going to break those people out that used to be with us that are no longer with us? How often do we pray for our friends and family that sit in prison cells? I have family right now that are sitting in prison cells. You say, well, what jail are they at? No, I'm talking spiritual prison cells. I'm talking spiritual jails. And how much time are we spending praying for them and going after them in the spirit? It's time for the church to rise up. It's time for the church to pray. You're listening to me tonight because somebody prayed for you. You might think you're here on accident, but you're here because somebody prayed for you. Acts 12, um, verses 6. And when Herod was about to bring him out that night, Peter was sleeping bound with two chains between two soldiers and the guards before the door were keeping the prison. There's no way this dude's getting out. That's the bottom line outside of divine intervention. Verse seven. Now behold, an angel of the Lord. Here's another angel showing up, stood by him and a light shone in the prison and he struck Peter on the side and he and raised him up saying, arise quickly. And his chains fell off his hands. Then the angel said to him, go, go, gird yourself, gird yourself because Peter's unclothed and tie on your sandals. And so he did. And he said to them, said to him, put on your garment and follow me. So he went out and followed him and he did not know what was done by the angel was real. He thought he was seeing a vision. It was too good to be true. Verse 10, when they were past the first and second guard posts and they came to the iron gate that leads to the city, which opened of them of its own accord. Oh, that's cool. Automatic doors. And they went out and went down the street and immediately the angel departed from him. Verse 11, and when Peter had come to himself, he said, now I know for certain that the Lord sent his angel and has delivered me from the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the Jewish people. So this is the night before his execution. They're going to kill him. God shows up. How many of you will know God is a God of perfect timing? Now notice what happened. The angel of the Bible says struck Peter to wake him up. Okay. He had fallen asleep in bondage like some of you tonight. And the angel says, I'm not going to do this nicely. I'm not going to do this quietly. I'm going to smack you to wake you up. And this is what my message has been. I am, I believe, an alarm clock to the body of Christ. Alarm clocks are not made to be nice. They're not made to be comfortable. They're not made to wake up. They don't whisper. They don't sing. They're not made for entertainment. Alarm clocks aren't for telling jokes. Alarm clocks are loud. Come on. Are y'all hearing me tonight? Luckily, you guys are on, I'm on live stream, so you could turn me down. We're not in a building where you can't avoid my loudness. They're loud. They're repetitive. And they, same thing, over and over and over again. Now, some of you, why do you always tell me the same thing over and over again? Because God has called me to be an alarm clock. Because my the purpose of the alarm clock is not to be your friend or to make you entertain or for you to like it. The alarm clock is to wake you up. And although it's frustrating, it wakes you up and does its job. And so what happens? You keep turning that alarm clock on. Why? Because you keep falling back to sleep. And that alarm, 
boom, keeps waking you up. That's why for me, I got to have convicting preaching. I can't be listening to these preachers out here that tell me how awesome I am. I, my pride will do that for me. My flesh will do that for me. I need some preachers out here that will say, nope, Isaiah, you haven't been praying enough. You haven't been getting up right. You haven't been living right. You haven't been, I'm calling you up. You got to get, you got to get serious about God. There's some laziness. There's some areas. We got to wash you up with the word of God. We got to call you up to the next level. I'm not going to be listening to preachers that are going to tell me, oh, Jesus loves you. You're so awesome, brother. Like, I don't need that. I don't need a cheerleader. I need an army general that's going to say, give me 30 more soldier because I'm preparing you for the battle that's out there. Now the angel hits him and one touch, one touch, the chains fall off of his wrist. Now this I could relate to because this is what happened with me. One touch from God and every chain broke off of me. Lust, addiction, alcohol addiction, cursing every other word, everything you can think of, bitterness, anger, resentment, racism towards my own race. I mean, I was so twisted like a pretzel. I, I didn't know left from right. And in one encounter, and this is why I could keep preaching the power of God and I refuse to preach a powerless gospel because I am a testimony to one touch from the, from the spirit of God that every chain could come off of you. I'm telling you tonight, one touch from God tonight and every chain could come off of you. Every guard around him didn't matter. Didn't matter. Doesn't matter how impossible your situation is. God will bring you out. He follows out the angel thinking the entire thing was too good to be true. Like it was a vision. I've, I've said this before. For those of you that heard, heard me say this 11 years later, I don't know that there is a week that goes by. I'm telling you this. I've told my wife this before. I've said this a bunch of times in my live streams. I guys, not a week goes by where I don't have this thought. Am I dreaming? I really feel this guys. I feel like my life is too good and unreal to be true in God that I'm that at any moment I'm going to wake up from a dream and I'm going to be still that broken 19 year old atheist 11 years ago because this life, come on, does anybody know what I'm saying? This life that God brings us into and blesses us with. It's this supernatural life that's so good to be true when God rescues us and brings us out of that prison that I, I feel like I'm dreaming. I look at my wife and kids and the ministry and what God has done and all the people that God has reached through our ministry and all of you guys. And I, I hang out with you guys in the chat and read your testimonies. And I'm just, I'm, I can't process it, guys. I really can't. I'm in awe of what God himself is doing. And I feel like Peter where he said, this is a vision. Like the Bible says Peter didn't think it was real. And sometimes I'm going like, do you realize what's happening in your life right now? Just let's just stop right here. Okay. And just think about this. I don't want to miss this moment. Do you realize what God is doing in your life? Maybe in these broadcasts, maybe at your church, maybe in your marriage. Do you realize the power that you have in God to deliver those, to heal those that are sick? I know it's hard. I know it's tiring, but I want you to just realize what's happening right now in your life that you are sober after they said you'd never be sober. Your marriage is restored after they said your marriage is never gonna work out. You have two children when the doctor said you'll never have kids. You are living the life that you spent years praying for. <clears throat> I want you guys to think about that right now. Just take a moment and give them a hallelujah and a thank you. You're living right now in the answer to prayers that you prayed 10 years ago, 15 years. You should have been dead. You should have been dead. The doctor said you should have been dead. The CHP said you should have been dead. The sheriff's department said you should have been dead when you, when you rolled over on that freeway and you were under that car that was on fire and somehow somebody pulled you out and you don't know who it was or how it happened. 
when you wanted to take your own life and the next day the one that gave life gave you life when God broke that drug addiction off you and the doc and the doctor said if you keep going down this road your liver is failing you have lung disease and heart disease and blood disease and you have infections in your lungs and in your blood and every part of you has been ravaged by sickness and all of a sudden one day you came down to an altar and the almighty creator of the universe power same spirit that raised Christ came upon you and brought healing to your body when those voices told you to take your life over and over and over and you live with crippling addiction depression anxiety and you met up with somebody that said I could cast demons out of you and those demons scream out of you and now there's a joy about you your family doesn't even recognize you because you're so full of life just just stop and think about your testimony and what God is doing right now in your life forget about all the negative Forget about, oh, could we all complain? We all got something to complain about. I don't want to, we all could complain about something. But let's just think about the goodness of God. It's, it's, it is too good to be true. He's, he's too good to not believe. Too good to not believe. It's like that song, I've seen cancer disappear. I've seen blind eyes open. He's too good to not believe. I've, I've seen him do it. So I'm sorry to tell you, but you can't preach me out of it. You can't talk me out of it. How does he go for so long preaching this? Because I believe this. Because I, I live this, guys. I live this. I walk this out. I've, I've watched tumors shrink in my hand. I've watched blind eyes open. That, that's why I will never go and debate, could God heal the day? It's the, it's the dumbest argument. It's the most foolish thing to say. I don't need to debate you. You believe, I know. I, I've seen tumors disappear. I've seen blind eyes open. I've watched the lame walk. I've watched the deaf hear for the first time. And people in my own family, I've watched those that are crippled, I've watched those that are broken. I've watched those that have doctor's reports that say, we don't know if you'll make it through the night that are alive 10 years later. I've seen the goodness of God with my own eyes. So there's, there's no debating with me. You're not going to change my mind. You're not going to convince me that God can't deliver. He's been too good to not believe after all that I've seen. Guys, you're, you can't go back. Hear me tonight because tonight I felt very prophetic. You can't go back. You've already been delivered. He's, he's too good to not believe. Now, Peter snaps out of this and says, it's true. It's true. The Lord sent his angels to save me from what Herod planned to do to me. Isn't that our life message? Isn't that all of us tonight? The Lord sent his angels to save me from what the devil had planned for me. Imagine if the devil got his way in my life. And he almost did when I first got saved. Those choices I had to make to turn from my old life. Imagine if I went back, what I'd be living right now. I, I honestly, I'd probably be dead. To be honest with you, I'd probably be dead if God didn't save me. And God, in the words of Peter, saved me from what Herod planned to do to me. God has come tonight to save you from what the devil planned to do to you. Well, how do you know the devil's plan? I know the devil's plan is to still kill and destroy. The devil wants to destroy everything in your life. And God says, I've come to bring life and give you life more abundantly. Acts 12, 12 through 17. We're almost done here. So when he had considered this, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. And as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a girl named Rhoda came to answer. When she recognized Peter's voice because of her gladness, she did not open the gate, but ran and announced, Peter stood before the gate. But they said to her, you're beside yourself. Yet she kept insisting. And they said, it is his angel. Verse 16, now Peter continued knocking, and when they opened the door, they saw him more astonished. 
But motioning to them with his hand to keep silent, he declared to them now that the Lord had brought him out of prison and said, go tell these things to James and the brethren. And he departed and went to another place. So here's the thing. They're praying for Peter. Peter shows up and they don't even believe it's Peter. How many times have we prayed and God does the prayer and it's too good to believe. And we don't even believe the prayer that we're praying for. Imagine praying for a family member in a prayer meeting and your family member walks in. And that's exactly what happened in the story. They're in a prayer meeting contending for Peter and Peter shows up and they're like, that's not Peter. That's an angel. What are you guys praying for? You're praying for Peter to break out of prison. Lord, deliver Peter. And God does it. And they're in unbelief and they don't even believe Rhoda when she says God has has saved Peter and brought him out. Acts 12, 18 through 19. Then as soon as it was day, there was no small stir. There was no small stir among the soldiers about what had become of Peter. But when Herod searched for him, he couldn't find him. He examined the guards and commanded them to be put to death. And he went down from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. So Herod basically said, whatever, and this was the law required, the punishment of the guards, okay, was whatever the prisoner that got out um, sentence was. So the reason why we know they were going to kill Peter is because Herod killed the guards because anyone, any guard in that day that let a prisoner out, they had to pay the sentence of what the prisoner had. And the, Peter was sentenced to death. So because these 16 guards were guarding Peter, all 16 of them were sentenced to death. Acts 20, 12, 20 through 21. Now Herod had been very angry of the, with the people of Tyre and Sidon, but they came to him with one accord and having made Blastus, the king's personal aid, their friend, they asked for peace because their country supplied with food by the king's country. So on a set day, Herod arrayed in royal um, apparel, sat on his throne and gave an oration to them. Okay, verses 22 through 23, and we're almost done here. But the word of God grew and multiplied. I'm sorry, verses 22 through 23. And the people kept shouting, the voice of a God and not of man. Then immediately the angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give glory to God. This is Herod. And he was eaten by worms and died. That's intense. Herod did not give glory to God and God struck him dead and worms ate him and he died. And this is one thing I want you to write down. God will not share his glory with anybody. So do not try to take the glory of God. It's dangerous. Acts 12, 24 through 25. But the word of God grew and multiplied and Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem to Antioch when they had fulfilled their ministry. And they also took with them John, whose surname was Mark. Now, I love how Luke, I just want you guys to see something here before we uh, end. I love how Luke contrasts this, okay? The last verses of Acts chapter 12 are King Agrippa's death. And then the next verse, he describes how the church is exploding and multiplying. So it's like, death to King Agrippa, the world systems dying, and the kingdom of God in the next verse is exploding. I just love the contrast there. Now, I want you to write these things down. Just write them down, okay? Don't, I'm not going to preach them. I'm not going to, because we're already an hour and 50 minutes in, and I want to pray for you guys and hang out with you guys for a little bit. But I want to give you some lessons on prayer from the church at Mary's house, okay? So just have your thing out to write these. Lessons from the, from, um, lessons on prayer from the church, from the church at Mary's house when they're praying for Peter. Okay. Lesson number one, the church prayed together. Okay. Right. Just write them down. You guys can go study these later. They're all in the book, what we just taught. Okay. The church prayed together. Lesson number two, the prayer group was inclusive, rich people, poor people, men, women, servants, masters, all praying together. So it was an inclusive prayer meeting, not exclusive, inclusive. That's number two. Number three, the prayer was constant. 
The Bible says they were in constant prayer. That's a word right there. You can preach all these points here, okay? Any of you pastors watching, use this for your sermon Sunday, the way the church should pray. Point number four, they prayed over an extended time. Eight days they prayed, okay? It was an extended period of time that they were praying. Number five, they prayed to God. Number six, they prayed all night long. That's a word. We need some more all night prayer meetings. Number seven, they prayed in spite of their doubts. Because remember, they doubted because they were shocked and they didn't believe it was Peter. So they prayed in spite of their doubts. Number eight, with prayer, they used common sense, okay? They didn't bring Peter in. Peter left town because they didn't want him rearrested. So they used common sense. Number nine, God did more than they even prayed for. That's a word right there. God did more than they even prayed for. And that leads us into, what do you think we're going to do right now? Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Revival Lifestyle Podcast. If you like what you heard, go to www.isaiahsaldivar.com for more content. And please follow me on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram at Isaiah Saldivar. See you next week.